Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, master certified life coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and I have a special guest here with me today. I am here with Abigail Morgan. Now, Abigail Morgan is a mind-body coach who helps people create well-being through her signature mind-body healing process, the Anamsog Method. She has helped people worldwide, including me, who wanted to improve their well-being, energy levels, and connection to inner wisdom. She's the founder of the Mind Body Magic Coach Training and the Slacker Magic Course, and most famously, one of my very first teachers. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Abigail. So excited to be here, Tori. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I am very excited to have you here because you have helped me so much. And usually this podcast, you know, we have a question to answer. Today, I don't have a specific question, but I, I think that's kind of why I wanted you on the show. I wanted to bring it up because I think that people don't understand that there's sometimes a connection between how life coaching can help sometimes these uh, mind-body syndrome type situations. So I'll give you what the scenario that came up was during a coaching call. I had a client come to the call and she said, I'm having a bad COVID day. She's recovering from COVID. And she says, you know, I have a headache, I'm tired, you know, really fatigued and my chest feels really tight. So I said, okay, you know, scale of one to 10, how tight, how pain, how's the fatigue, whatever, we kind of calibrated. Then I coached her for like a minute and a half. I mean, it was like the quickest, shortest, maybe not a minute, maybe two and a half minutes. It was so short. And I'm like, okay, how's your headache? She's like, completely gone. How's your tight chest? Completely gone. How's your fatigue? I feel amazing. Like, and I think I was like, oh, this would be a good topic for a podcast because I'm not sure <laughs> that people realize the connection between our thoughts, our and our resisting emotions, and how it shows up physically in physical symptoms in the body. And I know that you are the expert in that. So can you please talk to us a little bit about uh, the mind-body connection and what is it that makes physical symptoms go away so quickly? Oh yeah, this is my favorite topic. So yes, <laughs> we can definitely dive in. Well, I'll give you a little bit of background around the mind-body connection because we grow up in a world where, like you said, we're not aware that it even really exists as a thing that we can use to support ourselves because we're kind of taught from a young age to disconnect from the body. So if you think about going to school or you know, various different social settings, it's kind of like ignore the body, just override those sensations and just get your work done or get, get things accomplished. And we're not really taught from that young age to listen to signals that are coming from the body. And our bodies are really wise. They have all kinds of information, just even basic stuff. If you think about it, like obviously if you're hungry, if you have to go to the bathroom, your body's giving you a physical signal to let you know that something's going on. 
So I think of mind body issues like, you know, fatigue or feeling bad somewhere in the body or having something like your client was experiencing as just the same thing. They're messages from the body trying to tell us something. And generally you can just assume something's off somewhere. So we know like if, okay, I have a headache, something's off somewhere, right? And if you think about that in a global way, like that could include, like you said, emotional things that are coming up that I'm kind of resisting, or maybe there's something my inner wisdom's trying to tell me that I'm not really aware of, could be all kinds of things. And we forget to actually check on those. We kind of go straight to the like, oh my gosh, I have a big problem going on. I know mine, mine sure does. Like, oh no, <laughs> I have a headache. Therefore, something is terrible in a medical sense. Right. It's a tumor, right? It's Right. <laughs> Oh, no. But actually, if we start with the other stuff, the emotions, like what's going on in our mind? Um, are we pressuring ourselves? I'm so good at that one. I can pressure myself about anything. Or am I being hard on myself? Am I criticizing myself? All of these different options exist. And so what we're doing as coaches is we're going in and just looking at those things, helping the client sort through that. And then the messenger, which is the discomfort or the pain doesn't need to be there anymore so that's why it goes away so quickly because it's given its message we've heard it it's been absorbed and now we're able to take action on it so there's no reason for it anymore right the value is, has gone away it's okay we've addressed it it's trying to get your attention trying to tell you something communicate what are some common mind body syndromes like what are, are some common ways that it shows up like I know how it shows up in me because I've been in this, this body for decades and I've had so much experience with like, uh, you know, just here it is again. Like what more pain for me? It's like physical pain is just whatever. That's my favorite. But I've had other it show up in other ways. But I think people are different. Like some people get migraines. Some people get fibromyalgia or like what are some of the common things that you think can be most benefited from life coaching, studying, like looking at the mind and the emotion? Yeah, I've worked with so many different things with people over the last 10 years. I would say pain in any area of the body, right? So that could be migraines, could be neck or back pain, could be pelvic pain, could be knees, joints, you know, all those things where you feel that sort of specific local pain somewhere in the body um, that seems like it just doesn't respond to things that you're trying to do to help it. And oftentimes one of the keys is it will kind of come and go weirdly too. Like you'll think, oh, you know, I only have pain at two in the afternoon. That's weird. Like sometimes our bodies just have this bizarre pattern. That's often a really big clue that it's a mind-body syndrome showing up to, <laughs> to help us figure something out in our lives. So like I can totally go for a jog, but then at 2 p.m. every day my knee hurts or whatever, like something like that can happen. So that's really common. Also, some autoimmune things are really mind-body as well. Um, and then all over body pain, like you talked about, fibromyalgia is a really common one. Chronic fatigue, so tiredness, low energy, and even actually like ongoing anxiety can be one as well. So if there's something that's just really spinning, 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 constant in the mind. Uh, I have even considered money fear to be a mind-body syndrome too. Like, so it kind of shows up and it feels bad, right? It's the same as pain. It feels bad consistently in our system. And then if we work it the same exact way, then we get relief. So kind of a broad 
you know, a lot of different things to think about, but that's what I've seen in my practice. Yeah, I, I definitely, and I can relate. I mean, I definitely had money fears, anxiety. I don't think I knew I had anxiety. I just thought this is like what it feels like to be. <laughs> you know? And then I went through life coach training. I was like, hmm, there's a little more to this thing that's going on here. But yeah, I had vulvodynia back in my 20s, which is, you know, just kind of a general term for pain in the vagina, which is how you started your business. I don't know. You went through coach training with Brooke Castillo. Yeah, yeah. Way back in the day, right? She talks about you. <laughs> she talks about you still to this day. She'll talk about when she's teaching about niche. Yes. Like, I went to coach training with someone who specializes in vagina pain. <laughs> she's like, that's a niche. <laughs> it was. It was very much a niche. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so like I remember hearing like anything with a sphincter muscle can like weaken and be more susceptible to stress like over time so like those kinds of things and yeah and there's there's science behind that in case someone is like what are you guys talking about <laughs> because it seems kind of weird right when you think about it that way but there's actually the way the nervous system functions all of our sphincters are controlled by the nervous system so if you are in fight or flight or freeze response in the body, which is what we tend to do without even knowing because of stress. So whatever stress happens, then we go into that physiologically. We're not even aware it's happening sometimes. And then that will affect everything in the body. So that's how you can get all these different types of symptoms is really that nervous system response. Irritable bowel syndrome, you're making me think yes. of. I remember <laughs> like getting IBS like that. I also can remember like, uh, you talked about like come and go during the day. I used to get this pain right in my solar plexus, but every time I worked, like if I'd sit at my computer and work, I would get this pain right here. And my, and I, I mean, I felt it other times of the day, but I remember like, what is that all about? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I had to do some coaching to figure out what I said. I was trying, I was like working behind my own back, like quick, get some work done. But she notices that you're putting yourself out there and, you know, being, doing scary things. Like it was this funny, like push and pull I had within my own body of like, I was so scared to like publish a blog and yet I was still publishing a blog. And so it creates tension in my body that was like really painful. I mean, it, was, it wasn't, oh, goodness. it wasn't minor. It was hard to, you know, so it was like, I, it, you know, even though, I knew about mind-body syndrome, even though I had overcome vulvodynia, IBS, back pain. It's like these things would still show up, maybe a little lesser degree, and I could still push through. I could still ignore it, pretend like it was not just physical and not also mind-body, you know, like that I wasn't creating with my own stress and pressure. So I'm wondering if you can talk about that because. I feel like, you know, the things where that you and I really both coach on is they're invisible. Nobody else can see them. If you broke your foot, other people would be like, oh, I can, let me help you with that. Let me take a look. Let me carry your bags. You need to sit down and rest. We would get the love, compassion, and support that we need. But when it's invisible to everybody else, including us, how do you know when you're in that self-pressure, pushing, perfectionism, and people-pleasing, those four Ps? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did break my foot this year, so I know what you're talking about. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, this is different than having invisible pain. <laughs> oh my gosh. The way the way we know is there's sort of this subtle level of awareness. So before the body starts producing pain, it produces tension somewhere, somehow. So we call that just like a sinking feeling in the gut or heaviness or tension in the body somewhere. So you'll notice, like, say it's you're sitting down to work and you've got that push-pull fear going on. There's something there, even before the stomach pain mm-hmm. or the solar plexus pain starts, there's some kind of tension and it feels a little crunchy, a little uncomfortable, a little not quite right. And those are those little subtle messages that our body gives us to let us know we're pressuring ourselves or we're people pleasing or we're pushing through, uh, you know, all of that stuff where we're ignoring um, what we really need, you know, in the moment. And we're actually overriding our inner wisdom. And we're, that's why we push because we want to just get something done, right? But there's actually some value in that wisdom that's sitting there and our body wants us to hear it. It wants us to know um, all kinds of stuff that we're pushing past and we're pushing through because we've been taught to do that. It's yeah, it's I mean, culture's I, messages. I was so an elementary push. school teacher. I know my job was to say, yes, I know you feel like going outside and running around, but you can't, you have to sit here, bottle that up, suppress that sensation and wait until recess, you know? So exactly. yeah, it makes sense. So what would you say to a mom who says, but Abigail, I have to keep pushing through. I can't afford to, you know, sit down and tune into my body and notice where I'm feeling tension. Like my kids need me. It's dinner time. I got chaos all around me. I've got to push through. Right. Absolutely. Well, I'm totally a mom, so I get it. And that's why I, cre- I actually created a whole coaching tool just for that, because my clients would say that to me. So I call it the slack process, because when you're pushing, it's just not worth the end result, right? We're going to have the physical pain, we're going to have the anxiety or whatever. So even if we're busy moms, it's worth not pushing. And so in order to be able to succeed at not pushing, we need a different way of being, right? Because like you said, we've been taught since we're little to override all these important things in the body. So it's all about really small little changes. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to sit down and take half an hour to see what I'm feeling right now. You can do that later when they're in bed if you want. (laughs) But in the moment when there's all this stuff going on, and there can be just a quick check-in. Like I can be pulling something out of the refrigerator to make dinner and still go, my solar plexus feels tight. Interesting. I'm noticing something going on. Am I pressuring myself? So it's just this quick little check-in. Like right in that moment, I feel like snapping at my kids right now. I feel really grumpy. I feel irritable. I Is there pressure somewhere that's that I'm putting on myself? Oh yeah, I'm trying to get all of them fed perfectly. And I feel like I should have one of those perfect meals on the table. And actually I'm not really going to achieve that tonight. So I'm trying to be a perfectionist, but it's not working and I feel bad inside. So if you just quickly go through this little internal checklist of, you know, where's the tension? What am I feeling? Where's the pressure? And then can I quickly adjust that into saying, wait a second, like, I don't have to be super mom all the time, I can actually make a just simple little dinner tonight. And that's okay, you know, finding that self compassion, to shift out of the pressure mode, you can really do all of that while you're still getting the ingredients (laughs) out for dinner. Yeah, I think that I think, uh, for me, a big shift happened when I started 
because I used to ask, like, I'd say like, well, what am I feeling? Like, oh, I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling good. I'm happy. And when I shifted was, I started asking myself, uh, what am I trying not to feel? And that was a game changer yes. for me because so then it helped me tune it. Because I think I, you know, I can remember going to the doctor when I had vulvodynia and somebody saying, this is all in your head, sort of in some, some wording like that, or at least that's how I heard it. And I remember <laughs> something about this is only stress. I remember saying like, the only thing that's stressing me out is you telling me it's stress. <laughs> and I think back then in my 20s I equated I didn't think I could be stressed and happy at the same time and I was so happy that it bothered me that people kept telling me I was stressed so can you help maybe other people understand how you can be both happy and your body can be stressed yeah that's because we're so good at pushing it all down (laughs) And that, like you said, we've been taught to do. It's not something we consciously do at all. I had the same experience you're talking about going to doctors and then saying, what am I stressed about? about? Like, what are we, what? Why is my body having pain? Yeah, I don't even know. It's like these little tiny moments throughout the day, every day that add up. So something happens, whatever. It could be you're dropping the kids off for school. Something happens that's stressful. And we just quickly bury it in our psyche, we push it down. Um, one of the one of the doctors I talked to one time said it's as fast as how you can tie a shoe. The habit is so quick, you know, you just tie your shoe and you don't think about it, right? It's the same exact thing. It's a habit of suppressing that emotion so quickly we never know we even had the emotion. So when we turn around to start to undo this process, we have to start asking that question: What do I? What am, what might I be feeling that I'm not feeling? You know, what am I trying not to feel? Like you said, because we don't even know that 10 things have gone on throughout the day that we had emotions around because it quickly went underground so fast. And now here we are thinking, I feel okay, but actually there's all these little things underneath that have started to build up. And that's, you know, one of the big signs, I think, is when you start getting a little snappy with the kids or getting a little irritable with your spouse or whatever that's like the you know okay there's a sign here there's something under (laughs) under the surface that I haven't quite addressed yeah I call it the and the exploding doormat is the sign where you're like I'm happy I'm nice I'm understanding I'm kind and all of a sudden I can't take it anymore like if you fall into the exploding doormat that's a sign that you're suppressing and not listening to things that might be causing you tension feelings you're trying not to feel like I know for me it was like embarrassment was like the one I avoided like the plague like anything that would cause me the slightest embarrassment I would shove it down like nope mm -mm, we're not gonna think about that we're not gonna feel that Mm -mm." and then over time it just started to show up as physical pain because I wasn't paying attention to the emotion or the tension that it created do you think there's a certain personality type that lends itself to mind-body syndrome? Yeah, I definitely see a profile in my clientele for sure. Usually very responsible and wanting to be the good girl a lot of the time. So fits right in with people pleasing, right? Taking care of others, being very compassionate, very kind, very supportive of others, often putting themselves last. That's a big one. Oftentimes, some overachieving or perfectionism in there in different ways. Everyone's kind of unique in how that gets expressed. So sometimes that one's harder to see, but it's almost always there. 
so a lot of times sensitivity to energy too, just that like we feel other people's emotions, we're empathic, we feel we want to help others. That's a pretty common part of the profile, whether it's just, you know, helping your own kids or helping friends, or if you're helping others out in the world as a service, that tends to seem to be very common. I always say like empathy will use you if you don't learn to use it. I mean, I remember trying to like Google, I've got one kid, one of each, I got one kid who's very empathic and one kid who's very not. <laughs> and, and I remember trying to Google like, you know, over empathy, like um, how to help a kid who's too empathic. And there was nothing on the internet. Like I couldn't find anything. There was so many things of like how to teach your kids empathy and how to teach them to be more empathic. And I was like, right. I have the opposite problem in myself as well as in my child. <laughs> Because I, I recognize that, like, I'll be watching, like, so my daughter is 16, and she watches Criminal Minds, which is this, sorry, Criminal Minds, horrible show, if you're sensitive and empathic. <laughs> so she right. can watch, this. So she's playing classical music on the piano while watching some sort of horrible rape scene on the TV, totally unfazed. I'm sitting there, like, in a corner of a ball, like, she, like, shaking just like turn this off this is terrible like my whole body is tense like I'm feeling for the characters on the show and she's like mom it's not real it's fictional I'm like but it happens to a lot of people in real life and I just like the, the contrast between she and I is just so night and day and so I understand that there are a lot of people who can feel emotions and not carry it physically in the body and I'm just like any movie scene, any plot. And I have another kid who's, you know, feels everything also. And so is there like, what do you say to help people or how do you, what suggestions do you have for people who do tend to be overly empathetic and kind of they, and they feel when something is, I mean, I just think the TV screen is such a great example because it's like not even real life, right? When there's a character on TV right. who's feeling embarrassed. Right. How do you not feel embarrassed alongside with that character or feel fear when you're watching people be scared on TV? Yeah, you know, it's the weirdest thing, but the same skill that we just talked about is really helpful for that, which is actually becoming super aware of your own body and your own body's experience and your own feelings. Because if we can say like, okay, I feel whatever it is in this moment, let's say I feel sad. I feel it in my chest. I feel a heaviness there. I feel kind of a openness, but there's still this heavy thing. Like the more you can get into your body and be aware of your own experience, the easier it is to separate yourself from the other emotional things going on around you. Because it's almost like that sets up this nice little boundary. Like, oh, here's me. And oftentimes when we have a lot of empathy, we've grown up in a way using that to protect ourselves by feeling everybody around us so that we can people please is if we know what they're feeling then we know how to alter our behavior in order to right. please them right so it's almost like we're reaching outside of our body and escaping into their body to feel it and then altering ourselves so it sets up this lovely healthy boundary of i'm going to stay in my body and i'm going to let that person have that feeling over there because I don't have to do any people pleasing. And so it's just, it's kind of habitual, right? When you learn it as a kid to use empathy to survive, right? And this is just getting that nice clarity. This is me, this is my experience, my emotions. 
And then when you have that, it's so much easier to go, okay, that's their thing over there. But it's <laughs> them, not, not mine. to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give that back to them. And this is my thing. That's their thing. So actually that skill is really helpful. Sometimes I'll have clients like imagine that there's a bubble around them, you know, and especially with their kids, yeah. right? So like, because I think what happens when you're very empathic and you're used to like tuning out words to pay attention to other people's emotions is that the result of that is that you need everybody around you to always be in a good mood. <laughs> right. Which is impossible. Like, <laughs> I mean, I always feel like it's usually when the kids are young, it's okay because you know, they, you come in the door and they're like, mommy, I love you. Yay. And you're, they're like, you know, filled with these little love machines. And so you can be totally open energetically with your emotions and be like, yes, come here, fill me up with your love. And then they turn 13, 14. And suddenly, like, if you still have that same, you know, like kind of external orientation where like, I, I need to know what you're feeling so that I know if I'm going to have a good day or a bad day. And then they start puberty and they start closing their door and they're ornery and they're snarky and they're like, you know, talk to the hand <laughs> kind of stuff. And you don't have <laughs> that ability to say, wait a second here. I can be in my bubble. I can have my own emotions and you can have yours and I can have mine and they can be different emotions. Then like, you're going to feel it a lot <laughs> harder if you haven't learned that skill before puberty. So that's my suggestion for the day. Learn how to separate your emotions before your children hit puberty. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my goodness. Could not agree more. You will ride the emotional roller coaster of adolescence right along with them. And and once is enough, in my opinion, <laughs> to ride that roller coaster. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, okay. So let's talk about perfectionism. How does that, Absolutely. how does it show? How do you know if you're a perfectionist? I think a lot of people think, you know, well, my house isn't perfectly clean. I'm not a perfectionist. <laughs> right. <laughs> how do you define it? Yeah. That's a pretty, <laughs> pretty common thing. One of my clients just said this to me yesterday. She was like, I didn't know I was a perfectionist because I thought if I right. was a perfectionist, things would be more perfect that I was doing, <laughs> which is like totally how you know you're a perfectionist. If you think that, right? So I think it has to do with actually how hard we are on ourselves about whatever it is. So it could be how hard are you on yourself about your parenting? Um, it's all those little moments in parenting or in work or in whatever it is you're doing if you're thinking almost consistently throughout the day well that could be a little better I just need to do work a little harder here and then that wasn't quite right if I just did that and if I only had tweaked it this way then it would have been that and that would be a little bit better it's really less about I think the word perfect throws us off actually because it's really like just this constant evolution towards better that we're always shoving ourselves to to attempt to get to this sort of never-ending thing like perfect is perfect is probably the goal but we're really like all day long it should be better it should be better that wasn't quite right this needs to be better or not not enough not good enough not doing enough not yeah or not enough you know, not good patient enough. enough whatever it's like just this so for somebody who's very empathic it could very easily tune in to the people around <laughs> yes you. I have the sense and tell me what you think yes. about this that our culture vibrates at not enoughness 
that at least for moms in America, that this is kind of the a permeating vibration of like, not good enough should be better. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And that's why it's so tricky because we are, we are in it all the time. And so it's nice to create some friendships or get some, some people in your life who you can talk to about this openly so that it's not always there under the surface. Like you should be doing this a little better, that a little better. It's constantly around us for sure. Um, I call it the no pain, no gain thing too. Because that's just like, if you're not working super hard, killing yourself, then you're not doing enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. It's the one worst. of the ways that things that you you've know. designed to help combat this cultural you know, not enoughness is something called strategic slacking. Yes. I would love for you to talk about that fun yes. name called strategic slacking. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I have. Well, it was totally selfish because I created it for me first. And then you needed the community <laughs> to support you on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, come on, everyone. No, then I started using it with clients and they were loving it because it's just this way to get out of that constant frame of mind where you're pushing yourself or being hard on yourself. So basically, it's a simple, simple strategy where you're noticing the body, you're noticing if you're having any tension or any feelings like, oh, this feels heavy, or this feels like really, really bad to me, or this feels hard. And then you take a step back and go, well, how could I strategically slack this so that I'm not doing the thing where I have to make it perfect, or it's not good enough, right? So we're aware, we're saying aware that the mind wants to do that, it wants to go into the not good enough place. And we're saying, no, actually, I'm going to go ahead and choose to strategically slack wherever I can. So this means cutting a corner where, where it's not going to really affect it that much, seeing where you can actually do less and still get the thing done. And you're actually choosing to lower the bar on purpose often. So, you know, sometimes you'll still get it done and it'll be really amazing. And that is super cool. And sometimes you realize I don't really have to make it super amazing. Like, does dinner need to be super amazing tonight? No. <laughs> It doesn't. So I always use this example of like, I'll get out a recipe. And if I was pressuring myself, I'd be like, I have to do every last little thing in here. Or I can skip the part that I hate, which is zesting the lemon. Like, <laughs> I never, ever want to zest the lemon. It just is, sounds hard. It feels hard. I'm not going to do that on a weeknight with making dinner. <laughs> so like, can I skip zesting the lemon? to strategically slack this recipe. Absolutely. You know, it's not going to kill the whole end product. Then we can have a good enough dinner instead of a not good enough dinner, right? In our minds, it can mm -hmm. be good enough. We can strategically take out the little things that are causing that tension that we don't really need. Yeah. I, I can remember experimenting with different things. Like I would, we're doing like, a, I called it a drop the ball challenge. <laughs> Just kind of nice. Like, where can I drop the ball? this week, you know, looking at the calendar, you know, yep. where am I going to deliberately on purpose, just drop the ball. And it's very freeing when you're a perfectionist and you say, you know, like, I'm just, <laughs> I feel guilty saying it out loud. I'm not going <laughs> to RSVP. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like how many people send out an invite? And like, you see, it's like, like, there's a lot of people that just don't respond. 
like I'm like I'm, I'm gonna be one of those people <laughs> that just doesn't <laughs> respond and it just feels sort of like deliciously evil when you have this people pleasing perfectionism I have to do everything right I can't disappoint people whatever it's like I'm just gonna like not sign up to bring something to the school you know Valentine's Day party I'm just gonna not <laughs> so like figuring out like drop the ball challenge kind of similar strategic slacking and then the other thing I did when I was kids, you know, were little and I really needed it was I've had what I called a do nothing day, which is about once a month, putting it on the calendar where it's like the goal, this is how I think I hacked my inner perfectionist was like, the goal is to do nothing. Like right, I can't exactly. do anything noble or good or productive. I, there could be no signs of accomplishment at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> yes. which is a big challenge. Right. So it's like, but, you know, so I can do things if I felt like it, but I couldn't like try to turn it into some sort of like uh, productive use of my time. Yeah, so exactly. That, that was really just had to even just like to see it on the calendar and look forward to it, you know, be like, oh, yeah, on that day, like I get to do nothing day. Like it's coming. It's coming. You know, it helped <laughs> my exhausted little psyche. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Relax. It's like you got to when you're a mom nobody else is going to do this for you. That's for sure. Like, I think sometimes we think, well, if I'm just exhausted enough, if I'm just depleted, if I'm burnt, somebody's going to come in and Mm -hmm. rescue. Someone will notice. (laughs) How'd that work for you? (laughs) Nobody notices. It didn't work very well for me. The kids aren't going to be like, mom, you deserve a day off. Here's the like, Mom, I love you. They'll make me. Yeah. We have to advocate for ourselves for sure no one's going to do it yeah it's really hard so you've got your uh I'm going to put a link in the show notes for your seven days of slacker magic can you talk a little bit about that and I'd love for you to talk about your use of the word magic and what you mean by that oh sure yeah so the seven days of slacker magic mini course is just a little taste of what it's like to take this pressure off and to not be hard on yourself. And so it's, it's like the opposite of a challenge, right? It's seven days (laughs) of doing less (laughs) of being a little bit of a rebel for seven days, you know? So it's kind of delicious in the way you were talking about, um, about not RSVPing. It's seven days where you're really changing that perspective from, I have to feel guilty if I'm not working all the time or doing all this stuff. And you actually, just take a really small step towards being less hard on yourself, having less self-pressure. And it's cool because there's a whole community of people who have gone through it who are in my little Facebook group. So you can actually have that community of people who are playing in this realm instead of the, you should be doing more, you know, normal stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So the word magic is in there because the coolest part of slacking and doing so strategically is that then you actually feel like you're in the flow so much more. So things actually get done more easily. You get to be more productive. You're less stressed and you actually do feel more light and more freedom and more playfulness in your spirit. So it creates magic when you do this slacker stuff, which is so opposite, right? It sounds really wild, but it's actually how it works and so like just like you were saying no one's going to do it for us but if we do it for ourselves then we create magic and then we create the space for ourselves to feel better you know whether it's 
physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. I was thinking about when my life coaching group, I asked them to do, I said, what's, and I'll ask you too, what do you think? If your relationship with time, like the way in which you move through your day, let's say like that, like your to-do list and like the way which you move through your day, if that were an animal, what kind of animal would it be? Ooh, it's fun. Question. You know, I had people kind of identify. I feel like mine is totally. Oh, okay. Dog. Say more. Why like a dog? Like <laughs> golden retriever. I'm a golden retriever in that way. Um, because it's about where, like, where's the ball? I want to play. Like, I want my day to feel fun. So, and that's only after doing all this slacking, by the way. Like, I used to put so much pressure on myself all the time. It would have been a different animal back then. <laughs> so. I would have been like a chicken with my head cut off. I think would have been how I would have identified <laughs> right. before. Exactly. Maybe a squirrel would be a good one. Yeah. I had some kind of thing like a sloth. Like they just like, I'm too tired to do anything. And they just kind of felt that way internally. You know, some people are like a shark. Like, ah, what's, you know, like, where do I need to go next? Pack mode right. whatever. I've been more like, exactly. uh, so I used to be a chicken. Now I'm more like a fish, just kind of like gliding easily from one activity to the next, never really like stressing. And um, it's a big change from how I used to operate. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels so much better, doesn't it? Well, and if you think about a dog, like dogs take, they rest a lot. And when they rest, they rest yes, like they thoroughly, 100%. Like, like yep. No apologies. <laughs> You know, they're not like, oh, I'm sorry. I just need a little yep. break. <laughs> no, and I think they're great role models. Yeah. You know, that's that's so awesome. Sometimes I will post on Facebook that I'm taking a nap or something like that just because I love to put slacker stuff out into the world, you know. <laughs> I'll have people who are friends from a long time ago be like, well, I wish I could do that. I'm like, that's why I created my own business, people. <laughs> so I can take my nap. <laughs> like this is the point like why are we going through life pressuring ourselves and we could be golden retrievers taking naps and playing with a ball what do you think it's going to take to shift the culture to celebrating relaxation and self-honoring and you know not self-sacrificing what do you think it's going to take to shift? oh man I think it's going to take a lot of people doing this work for themselves and then a lot of us coaches doing this work in the world, you know, it's just such an ingrained thing. And it's, there are roots that go probably far deeper than you want to get into here today, but there's just so much history behind all of it that it's going to take a lot of, a lot of people just really changing how they function individually first. Right. He starts with individual moves to community. Like you were talking about your little Slack community, which I was in last year which was a great time because right. the pandemic just started. <laughs> that was an interesting time. So to have that like support, to be like brag about slacking off, right? Like you right. brag exactly. about, you know, things you didn't do. <laughs> like yep. that, I think that was really helpful. So as you start with yourself, move to your community, your family, you know, those small groups. And then, you know, I think too, as our, as our world becomes smaller, like if you travel to a, a, another country, you can see how they don't do this. You know, when you become sort of more internationally recognized, like, like everybody else is like way kinder to themselves. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they're like, you know, like like a lot of third world countries, like, you know, what what's the big rush? Why are you in such a hurry? Right. Exactly. I remember that when I went to Ireland. I was like, oh, let's have a conversation. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like there's madness in your eyes. Like, right. <laughs> so I think that that could help too if we just keep getting exposed to other cultures who rank way higher on happiness scores than Americans do. That the combination will will help us shift the tide. And moms, this is your call to action. <laughs> time. Well, and it's teaching our kids too, right? My daughter just, um, she's been eight years old and she is coming home from school right now worrying about her reading level. And so right now, every day we have this discussion where I'm like, reading levels are silly. Who cares? You know, <laughs> basically. I'm just trying to de-stress, de, you know, depressurize the whole environment. As you can see how it's just starting to happen. And it's, you know, it's not the teacher's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's just so, so around us that we're used to it. So I feel like that's part of my job as a mom now is to help her also get out of that cultural thing as much as I can by, all you know, doing it and then also talking to her about it. Right. Yeah. I think it's, we definitely need to role model for our kids, especially if they live in a high pressure school. It's like some high schools can be pressure cookers for kids. Like the culture is way more than other high schools. So yeah, I think that's really, you know, something to be aware of too. It's like, what is the culture of your, your community and how can you advocate, you know, for, to take the pressure off just within your own family and your own kids and create a different family dynamic and culture where sucking is off. Okay. And it starts with, yeah, I always advocate like moms, like taking two nights in a hotel room by themselves. That's It is the most fantastic (laughs) thing, but it brings up all your resistance because we never watched our moms doing that. Or most of us didn't. You see our moms like, I'm just going to take a little mini vacation a weekend away by myself and just like have some fun. And like my mom never did that. And so it, to me, to try to do that feels really strange and wrong. And, you know, we really set the tone for our kids of what's normal. Absolutely. I remember my mom the same way. She used to um, love to read, but she would pretend she wasn't reading. So she would go like hide her fiction reading. And then if I walked in the room, she would quickly put it away. Like she wasn't taking time for herself, you know? Yeah. And it left a big impression. It's like, oh, you should hide that. That's bad and wrong. Right. Wow. <laughs> I know. All right. Well, I'm yeah. hoping that all the super moms out there are listening, are going to take up the charge to start lacking, dropping the ball, reading, picking up your heels, <laughs> enjoying life, be more like a dog or a fish when it comes to your day, because we it's time. <laughs> We've done this pressure thing for long enough. It's time to start relaxing and having a little more fun and uh, not working quite so hard. And if you need a little peer pressure support, I highly recommend Abigail's Soccer Magic <laughs> mini course. You can sign up out in the show notes. I'll put the link. So thank you so much. And I didn't even mention too that Abigail also, if you're interested in the mind-body syndrome, she also does mind body magic coach training which you've got another one coming up so she teaches people how to coach others who are having physical manifestations of stress perfectionism people pleasing pressure all that stuff 
right? When it starts to show physically, then yeah. there's a certain way to coach them. That's a little bit different than that when we just kind of work with the mind and we get to work with the body too. And it's brilliant work. Oh, yeah. yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes. That's also um, a way to learn all the mind body tools that I have. And I'll have a couple other things coming out this year too. So lots of ways to jump in. All right. Well, thank you so much, Abigail, for joining me today. Yes. Thank you so much, Tori. It was super fun. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.